Welcome to this week's sermon from Dale Partridge at Kingsway Bible Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit kingswaybible.org. Amen. Well, stay open in that section of scripture because we are going to be going through Romans chapter 8. We're going to continue on this wonderful chapter of the epistle to the Romans. So last week, we learned that humanity is not the only one suffering because of the fall. In Genesis 3.17, God says to Adam, cursed is the ground for your sake. We learn that thorns and deserts and poisonous plants and carnivorous creatures and harsh weather and volcanoes, all of these things were not a part of God's intention for creation. These are actually sufferings of a fallen earth. We also learned that our mistake is not appreciating the current earth that we have, its beauty, but rather failing to recognize the earth and the beauty that we lost in the fall. We act like someone who is admiring Mount St. Helens. I used to live up in the Northwest, and my grandparents also lived in Oregon uh, when I was a child. And I would go up to Oregon, and we'd travel over into Washington, and we would be able to look at Mount St. Helens. And it's like looking at the this this beautiful piece of nature without realizing that it's the aftermath of a massive explosion. It's only when an older person, like my grandparents, would walk up to me and say, you should have seen it before. You should have seen it before. I imagine that Noah had these same words because he was one of few people that saw the earth prior to the flood and saw the earth after the flood. I imagine that people would come to him and he would say, you should have seen it before. You should have seen it before. Ultimately, we look upon this creation not realizing that it's a remnant of beauty. It's a remnant of beauty. And in that oversight, we fail to see that it too suffers from sin. The plants suffer. The ground suffers. The rivers suffer. The animals suffer. Creation suffers. Now, in our suppression of sin, we fail to see that creation groans waiting for the redemption, waiting for the restoration, waiting for it to be a host of righteousness and not a host of sin and wickedness in the world. And we fail to see that it's longing for order and for harmony and for goodness and for glory. And this is vital for the Christian because when we are content with this earth and when we are content with these bodies, our hope for new bodies, and our hope for a new earth is greatly diminished. But this doesn't mean that we merely just sit and wait and do nothing. We just wait for the restoration of all things. No, we actually have gospel work to do. We have a mission, a great commission, and we need healthy bodies and an ordered environment to do so. We just prayed for the government leaders. This is a good thing. We have a civilization to restore. We have gardens to tend and cities to build. We have a kingdom to establish through the power and through the message and through the authority of King Jesus. And we know that he's going to use our work. He's going to use our evangelism. He's going to use our justice and our righteousness. He's going to use our churches and he's going to use our work in the land and our schools. All of these things he's going to use for the world to see the goodness of their king and his kingdom. We often hear people say things like, you need to accept 
Jesus as Lord, or that uh, you need to make Jesus as Lord. The truth is that Jesus is Lord, whether you accept it or make him in that position. Jesus is King, and we are here to tell the world about their King. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The truth is that we live in a time of already, but not fully. Already, but not fully. A state of fallenness that's being restored. A place where God offers a foretaste of the kingdom to come. We are here in a version of the kingdom, in a portion of the kingdom. But the feast, the fullness of the feast, is not yet here. And while we labor in these dying bodies and on this cursed earth, the message of Christ and his future consummation of the kingdom, the thing that, that is coming in its fullness, it gives us hope and it gives creation hope. Our Christian labors are not in vain because Christ is behind our labors. Now, in today's passage, the apostle emphasizes that just as creation groans, just as the earth and the plants and the animals groan and suffer, anticipating the final reversal of the fall and the restoration of all things, it also rejoices through mankind's total redemption and the return of Christ. It awaits eagerly for these things. In verse 23, if you look down in your Bibles, we're going to go through verse by verse. It says in verse 23, and not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So as dust, we often look upon our fallen nature in a sense, like when we, when we actually look at the world, when we look at creation as dust, in a sense, we look upon ourselves. We, our bodies are a part of this creation. We're made from dust. We will return to dust. And so when we look upon this fallen nature, we, in a sense, look upon ourselves. We see the broken parts of creation. We see the brokenness of our own bodies. We see the remnant of what once was. And although as Christians who have been forgiven in their spiritual debt, we have no guilt or shame. And although we have been guaranteed adoption and sealed by the Holy Spirit for redemption, and although we have resurrected souls that are filled with divine purpose and hope, and although we have no fear of death because we have been forgiven in Christ, although we have all of these things, we still groan. We still groan with creation. We still suffer many trials. We still long for resurrected bodies. And we still wait for the manifestation, the fullness of God's promises to come. But notice in verse 23 how the apostle does not say the resurrection of our bodies, but the redemption of our bodies. This is an important distinction I want you to take note of. There, this is one verse that should help us fight against this Gnostic tendency in the church. This Gnostic tendency in the church to say that the spiritual is good, but the physical is bad. That the spiritual is what we focus on and that the physical is not something that we care about. Throughout the scriptures, we see that God is calling his people to care for their bodies. And even though those bodies will die, we are to care for them still. God is actually going to resurrect this body. 
Jesus was recognizable. It wasn't a new body in the sense that it was a different body. It was the same body made new. We also see that God's people throughout the scriptures create beautiful work. And we're called to care for the animals and the livestock and the crops. And even though that all these things are going to be made new, we are still called to do those things in the physical world. Too many Christians have checked out of society, refusing to invest in the material side of the world, the physical side of the world, because they think we shouldn't dedicate effort to things that are destined to go away. And as a result, we check out. We stop kingdom building. We stop investing in society. We stop taking dominion over the realities of the culture. But Paul says to us, these bodies will be redeemed. This mortal flesh will put on immortality, as he says in 1 Corinthians 15. What I want to point out is that these bodies are not bad. Okay, this earth is not bad. Psalm 104, 24 says, O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. And said, what I'm thinking about here is that I want to make a distinction that yes, these bodies are going to die. And yes, this earth is going to be made new. It's going to eliminate the corruption of the curse. The purpose of death is the purification. It's the removal of the curse. We must die so that the curse and the corruption goes away. And for that reason, we can actually see the value of death. It becomes, death becomes heaven's door for us. The renewal of the earth becomes the door for the restoration of all things. But in the same way that God will restore this physical body, he's also going to restore this physical earth. And this is important because our work in the physical realm is not in vain. And I want to explain this. I want you to grasp this. Will the years of singing practice be lost in heaven? Will skilled craftsmen lose their ability in a restored world? Will the athlete lose his strength and the artist lose their gift in the future life? Of course not. Of course not. In fact, they're only going to be amplified. The time and the rigor that you put in today is not going to be lost for the glory of God. No good thing will be lost. God is redeeming our bodies. He's redeeming this earth. He's redeeming this culture. This should give us hope. Look to verse 24. It says, for in hope, we have been saved. In hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? So as I often remind you guys, we are going to be smart Bible interpreters in this church. I want you guys to have a clear understanding of how to interpret the scriptures. You shouldn't be 10, 20 years in to the church and your understanding of scripture and not be able to interpret it properly. So when you see the word for, at the beginning of a particular verse, it almost always signals that the sentence is an explanation of the previous sentence. It's called an explanatory clause. Sometimes it's a causal clause. But you know that there's a connection between the previous verse. It helps us to not take scripture out of its context. In this case, verse 24 is explaining the concept of waiting for the fullness of our redemption. It speaks to how we wait, how we wait. And how do we do that? We wait in hope. Our longing for redemption is expressed in hope. Hope is not the means of salvation. It is the evidence of salvation. Octavius Winslow said a great quote. He said, the phrase, in hope we have been saved, 
does not imply that hope is the instrument by which we are saved, but the condition in which we are saved, end quote. Colossians 1, 3-5 says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Hope, in a sense, is the assurance of faith. It's the reason for faith. Hebrews 11, 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. According to the Greek, this word hope is defined as, quote, a desire for some future good with the expectation of obtaining it. A simpler uh, definition would be confident expectancy. Confident expectancy. Without Christ, a person cannot have hope. There is no future good for them. The sufferings of this world are a foretaste of hell. They can have superficial hope. They can have worldly hope. They can have conditional hope. But this hope fades when the conditions change. It certainly fades when they face tragedy or death. But interestingly, those who have Christ have unconditional hope. Our hope isn't dependent upon the conditions of this world, but is unconditional because it's kept for us in heaven. In fact, tragedy and death won't diminish our hope, but actually strengthen our hope. Our our hope actually is magnified through suffering. Show me a suffering Christian and I will show you hope. This type of hope, it weans us from the things that we have in the present and puts our hope in the things that we will have in the future. That's what hope does. This is why Paul says, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? The redemption we hope for, we do not yet have. We don't have this substance of that hope at this point. I hope for a new body. I do not have that body at this time. If we had it, we would not hope for it. But since we still wait for it, we groan. If you have not yet grown, you're just not old enough. We groan with confident expectation for the redemption of our physical bodies. And we watch the earth groan in confident expectation for its renewal. Ultimately, we learn that salvation occurs in phases in this scripture. We learn that there's a process to redemption which is where the apostle is heading later in this chapter as we get into this section later in chapter 8. Salvation is secured immediately, but the process of salvation is experienced or attained in phases from election to glory. It's a process. As I said earlier, we are living in an already, but not fully, an already, but not yet experience of redemption. Verse 25 says, but if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. We live in a time where hope has been pessimistically defined. The definition that many of us think of when we think of hope is wishing for something you know won't likely happen. One man said that time destroys most hopes. They fade and then they die, end quote. We have heard people say, oh, we hope to go to Europe one day or I hope to write a book, or we hoped to adopt. These are are good things. These are aspirations. They're good aspirations, but it's not what Paul is talking about here. In other words, we use the word hope so casually that it clouds 
the biblical definition of what Paul is trying to communicate on the concept of hope. I believe 1 Peter 3, or 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, is going to help us understand this type of hope Paul is referring to. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, which he caused us to be born again to a living hope. Pay attention to that word. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ of the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Biblical hope is not our casual hope. It's a living hope. It's a different type of hope. The hope of heaven is not an aspiration. It's a guarantee. It's a future reality. It's something that we can bank on. It is guarded for us in heaven by God. The living hope is a hope that is essentially inextinguishable. It cannot be removed. And it is living because it was given to you by the living word. It is part of a living hope because of the living God that dwells in you through the Holy Spirit. One theologian said, tribulation cannot destroy the Christian's hope because the living God inspires it and guarantees its fruition. I was thinking about this 1959, Richard Warmbrand. He wrote a book uh, called Tortured by Christ or Tortured for Christ. He was arrested for preaching the gospel in Romania. And in his book, he uh, recounts how he was beaten and tortured. He stated that the tortures included mutilation, um, being burned. He was physically locked into a frozen icebox. They would strap him to a bed and beat his feet with wooden sticks. I remember he said something along the lines in his book, I made a deal with the guards. I would preach the gospel and they would beat me. When asked that how, how he survived 14 years of torture, how did you endure so much pain and suffering? He said that it was hope that kept him alive. He said that it was hope of one day seeing his family again. Hope that he might be able to preach the gospel one more time. Hope that he would maybe be the day of his release, that the Lord would free him. That's the power of living hope. That's the, the difference between our casual hope. It's an unexplainable version of hope to a non-believing world. It's not conditional hope. It's unconditional hope. It allows you to be upheld by Christ himself and it'll keep you going when nothing else can. Philippians 1.6 says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Therefore, Christian hope, living hope, it perseveres. It perseveres. Christian hope is patient. Christian hope can endure the sufferings of this present time. It can groan with expectation because the source and the substance of that Christian hope is not worthy to be compared of the trials in this time and because that hope is living. It's living hope. It's part of the spirit that dwells in you. This is how martyrs can suffer torture without committing suicide. I watch people often throughout this broken world take their lives. But my experience is that when Christians, true, born-again Christians, suffer, that hope will persevere in them. I watched a documentary talking about Fox's Book of Martyrs, and I watched hundreds 
of stories of men and women being willing to be boxed and battered and beaten and eaten alive and burned and not take their own lives. They walked in confidently. What is that? The only thing explaining that is living hope. This is how Christian mothers can still smile after their child dies. This is how Christian men in their hospital bed at 48 can still have joy facing the sorrows of disease and death. They have hope. They have a living hope. A hope that only comes as a gift of the Holy Spirit through the reception of the gospel. That's it. Paul says at the end of verse 25 that through this hope, we eagerly wait for the redemption. What worthy attainment is not worth waiting? What eternal blessing is not worth the carnal suffering that we have to endure? The hope of redemption is worth anything that this world can throw at you. The hope of redemption is worth anything that this world can throw at you. And you need to remember that because suffering is coming for you. And you need to see that the hope of redemption is worth any trial that you may face. In other words, there's no comparison between the suffering here and the reward waiting there. It's not to be compared, as we said a few weeks ago. The weight here, the trials here, the pain here pales in comparison to the riches awaiting there. Psalm 37, 7 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And this is our call, to wait for the fulfillment of our hope. That's what we do. We wait patiently, joyfully, with perseverance through trials. We do not let suffering or trials or tragedies overtake us because we do not have conditional hope, but unconditional hope. We do not have conditional joy, but unconditional joy. We do not have conditional love, but unconditional love. If I could zoom out and summarize what I believe Paul is trying to communicate in this passage, it would be your Christian hope will carry you. Your Christian hope will carry you. I remember a few years ago in ministry, I was betrayed. I was betrayed by a close friend and the pain was severe. I came home after a meeting and I told Veronica that I was done with ministry, that I wanted to be over with it. And in tears, I thought, I can't do this anymore. I can't continue on investing into people that then not just leave, but leave with a vengeance. It's a pretty common pastoral pain. And I remember being so adamantly convinced that I was through with ministry. And I woke up the next morning and there was hope. I woke up the next morning. I thought that the night before that the flame went out, but I woke up the next morning and the flame was still lit. It is the only explanation for many pastors who have been through many difficult trials or many families that have been through many tragedies or chronically ill individuals or people that have faced such hardship. The only reason that they can endure is because hope. It's not a flame that I kept lit. It's a flame that the Lord kept lit in me. It's evidence of the call. It's evidence of salvation. It's evidence of mercy and grace. It's evidence that it's not my control. 
The greatness of the hope of redemption, a living hope, will permit us to bear up under the difficult circumstances of life. When you know that you have hope that cannot be extinguished, it will carry you under the difficult circumstances of your life. When you fear that you're going to give up, when you fear that you cannot endure anymore, when you fear that you're going to just stop and break, you won't. You won't, not because of you, not because of the strength that's in you, not because of your intrinsic performance or self-discipline or self-madeness or strength, but because of the strength of Christ in you. It will be your hope of heaven that carries you. It'll be your hope of the restoration and the redemption of your bodies that will carry you. Your living hope, the life of God in your hope. I'll close with this. As the old hymn writer once penned, in trials deep when shadows fall, our living hope a beacon tall. For in our hearts, God's life abides, a flame that through the dark still guides. Though tempests rage and fears assail, this living hope shall never fail. For in God's power, it finds its rest, a light that shines amidst the test. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sustain us. Father, we thank you for the hope that you have deposited in our hearts through the word of God, through the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that you would continue to strengthen our hope. Lord, that you would give us color and understanding and clarity of this hope. Lord, that this hope would continue to be magnified in us. Lord, that it would carry us through any possible circumstance that is given. Lord, we ask that you would bless us with wisdom of this hope. Lord, that we would see this hope in others. Lord, that we would encourage this hope in others. That we would have a theology of hope. That we would have a gospel of hope. Lord, that we would communicate with clarity a gospel that brings hope. Lord, that it would translate into action and things that we would do for the kingdom of the Lord. We pray that you would bless us with power and passion and perseverance and patience. Lord, that all these things would be done because of the hope that's in us. We ask, Father, that this would be true here. Not just vaguely true in the world, but here in these hearts, in this room, in this church, in this town. Father, we pray that you would bless this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. For more information about Pastor Dale Partridge or Kingsway Bible Church, visit kingswaybible.org.